0: Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Kate Moody. In today's episode, we're asking, are financial services equipped to serve digital nomads? It's estimated that there are some 35 million people worldwide who packed in the office in the nine to five hours in favour of a life of travel and working from across the world armed with a laptop. But while this lifestyle has boomed post-pandemic, financial services is still looking to play catch up when it comes to wages, taxes, compliance and payments. So, We've put together a panel of experts to discuss what options are there for digital nomads today? What are the biggest hurdles still to overcome? And how do financial services aimed at digital nomads need to evolve going forwards? We'll discuss all this and more in today's show. But first, a few brief messages, don't go anywhere. Hello and welcome. LFG people. To FinTech Insider. Watching Insider. 11FS Spotlight. 11FS Explores.
1: Open mic night. After dark. Through our podcasts, videos, newsletters and live events, we have a direct line to a truly global fintech community. So if you're looking to sponsor and collaborate on content that connects with everybody from fintech beginners to the biggest VCs, then chat to our team at sponsors at 11fs.com or visit 11fs.com to find out more.
2: Long live the community.
0: Awesome. Let's get started. As always, I'm joined by a panel of amazing guests who can shed some light on this super interesting topic. First off, we have a fintech insider debut for Devin Coley, co-head at Outward VC. Welcome to the show, Devin. Can you give our audience an introduction to to you and your role at Outward, please?
2: Yeah. Hi, uh, and thanks for having me. So uh, I'm general partner at Outward VC. We're an early stage fintech fund uh, focused on the late seed stage and backing companies into A and B rounds. Our LPs include Investec, Blackstone, and a number of other institutions and family offices. Uh, we are shortly to launch Fund Two, having uh, invested in the likes of Curve, Monets, Bud, Primary Bid, Pepe in Fund One.
0: What a brilliant collection! Well, are looking forward very much to hearing your perspectives. So thank you very much for joining us. We also have a fintech insider debut for Chris Chera, creator at Remote Base. Chris, how are you doing? Can you give our listeners an introduction to you and your role at Remote Base, please?
3: Hello, Kate. Hello, listeners. Uh, great to be here. Yeah, sure. The uh, the remote work and travel lifestyle changed pretty much my entire life. Uh, so now my mission is to help others who want to start or continue on their own version of that journey. Um, so RemoteBase delivers on that vision by... Uh, being the independent voice of authority uh, in what is a sea of digital nomad accommodation options, so we curate top listings available with incredible discounts, and we share them on uh, share them on a, a free email newsletter that goes out to thousands of members. A, a good way to think of this is like uh, Jack's flight club for Airbnb. <laughs>
0: Awesome, I do, I do love Jack's Flight Club. So I'm very excited to to hear your take on the world of digital nomads. Thank you very much for, for joining us. And last but by no means least, we have Damantes Balinskas, CEO at TransferGo. Great to have you here, Damantes. What can you tell our audience about, about
1: TransferGo, please? Well, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So I'm co-founder and CEO at TransferGo and TransferGo is a is a cross border payments company for digital migrants. You call them nomads, we call them migrants, but at the end of the day, our mission is to make sure that they can move money instantly back home at a fraction of the cost. And uh, broader speaking, we're also solving a problem of financial inclusion, because um, the the world is not designed when you leave your home country. Absolutely. And we are working to design that. So we are, we're today 5 million customers plus, growing at 90% last year in revenue. Um, so this, there's a booming market out there across the board, and uh, but it's still not solved by any means.
0: Absolutely not. Well, yeah, sounds like a, a crazy busy time for you guys. So thank you for taking the time to join us, and, and looking forward to hearing your take on things. So thank you all for joining. Let's dive in. Let's start by looking at how the market for digital nomads looks today. Hopefully, we can start with a simple question: How do we define digital nomads? Who who's got a, a stab at this, Chris?
3: Uh, I can take a stab at this. So I actually like to look at this as like a a spectrum. So you have people on the spectrum who go from completely, uh, you know, completely local or uh, remaining in their home country. And then you have people who take vacations or holidays. uh, And then you have people who might go traveling for extended periods. Then you have people who go away and work online while they're away. uh, the, The digital nomad or the traveling remote worker. And then kind of as you creep further down the spectrum, you have people who are, quote unquote, slow mads. Um, so, you know, they stay for a longer period of time, maybe up to six months, maybe a bit more than six months, which puts you into a whole world of tax mess. And then after that, you kind of end up in in basically just expat land. Um, so that's the other end of the spectrum, like full expat. So, yeah, I think that's how I see the whole spectrum. And there's a really big chunk of it, which is like the digital nomad traveling remote worker. I think definitions like people who work online uh, or people who, who can work online from anywhere fit the criteria, and it's just really about whether or not they they take the label on themselves.
0: Interesting, Damantis. Obviously, you talked about using migrant as a term. Like, how would your perspective fit with what Chris explained, or do you see differences in your in your audience?
1: I would agree. I would also extend it to the economic nomad or economic migrant, in a sense, because what we see is that people are living increasingly uh, borderless lives. For them, the, the, they want to move money to individuals. They don't care or understand for countries. They want to be banked to be able to get access to financial services you know, without any borders. And this is not the world that we live in today. Now, there clearly are different use cases if you are working in Bali for three months or if you are a seasonal um, worker in Central Eastern Europe, sending money back home, but the access problems, problems probably are quite similar. So, and, and from, the, from the size perspective, from the impact perspective, the most underserved and the largest market, I would guess, would still probably be economic migrants, economic uh, migrants, uh, how, so that's what we are focusing on.
0: Absolutely. Devon, have you got anything to add from your VC perspective?
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree with with both Chris and Domantas. I mean, I feel that digital nomad often has a perception of choice around it, that I've chosen to go and live abroad and work there for a period of time, whether it's short or long. But there's a huge different spectrum there, which is the economic migrant people. The gig economy workers are very good case in point here, people who move to another country to seek higher salary or higher form of pay and then use that capital to try and send their money back home wherever that may be in the world. And that's often overlooked when we talk about digital nomads and the catalyst of the pandemic and people going off to Portugal as freelancers or whatever it is. But there's a whole other wave of people who've actually had no choice but to move to another country to to attain a high income and, and, and send it back home. So. I would answer the question by by looking at it as those who have the choice and those who don't have the choice, and I think whether we call it economic migrant on one spectrum versus digital nomad on the other, maybe a, maybe a, a decent starting point.
0: Okay, yeah, no, I think that's a really fascinating way of looking at it. Um, and I suppose across both of you, that chosen nomadic lifestyle and that enforced nomadic lifestyle—you know—how much has the last two years influenced that? New, I think there's been lots of talk about this boom, this new move to a more uh, technological workforce? Is it about technology? Is it about culture? Is it about other factors? What's what's driving this, Dementus from your perspective?
1: Unfortunately, what we see is the more unstable the world is, the more migration is, is booming. And we see that uh, the war in Ukraine has displaced not only 5 million Ukrainians, but it displaced um, you know millions of Russians who fled, displaced millions in CIS, Central Eastern Asia, that have left and numerous other geographies that probably try to go either to Europe or to the US. And in those banking markets, they are complete and utter unknowns uh, because the markets and the structure is not designed even to get access to a bank account, which is something that we all think has been resolved a long time ago. Actually, the reality is very different because without having a simple proof of address for a refugee, which is pretty much impossible because you don't have address in Europe, you can't get access to benefits, you can't get access to being part of the financial world. So this is a very serious problem. And unfortunately, we live in, in probably least stable times for the last 50 years. So so yeah, this is very real right now.
0: Absolutely. Um, Chris, obviously you work directly with digital nomads in your role. I mean, my assumption is that they would be more typically in that sort of chosen lifestyle bracket. Is that is that fair? Like what's the sort of typical economic work background for them?
3: yeah definitely more of a choice or yeah people people choosing to to pursue this uh, lifestyle as a you know almost like a company sell it as as a as a perk or a benefit like flexible working or or, or the option or the ability to be able to work from anywhere um, and yeah people people are choosing to to pursue that i think it maps to maps to statistics that from people like uh, Moneyzine and flatio where where you know our members are like 40% self-employed, about 45% employed by companies, more than 20% of them earn over 80K. There's about 10% of them earn over 120K. So they're definitely, they, they have financial backing, um, are they're, they're working in roles that are well-paid roles. They were like half of our audience covers. IT or development marketing growth partnerships, that kind of uh, commercial stuff or internally in HR or ops or finance. Um, so yeah there's a there's a broad spread but they are in that in that category of high, higher earning roles. Um, and so yeah there's there's some jobs that you just can't do remotely, right? There's some jobs that you, that you need you need to be in a certain location for. and if you're doing that then you can't you can't choose to you can't choose to take that role on the road. Um, the only other way to do it is to, I think, as you said, Devon, move not out of choice, but by almost like you're forced to move, um, and kind of pursue opportunities somewhere else. Um, so yeah, I think I'm not sure if that answers the question.
0: No, no, absolutely. Um, I think we could probably do like a whole show on people like that have been forced, forced to move and forced to relocate. So there's a huge wealth of, of stuff to unpack there. Um, I suppose I'm interested, but for those individuals that do choose to move. Devon, what are some of the key financial decisions that you think those people are having to make when they are committing to that lifestyle by
2: choice? Uh, Yeah, on the assumption that they're they're choosing to do do this, I think obviously they're looking at the ease of not only the logistics, travel, accommodation, etc., but the practicalities then of earning in a different country, whether it's how long are they there for, taxation, compliance, what role are they performing outside... Of, of their home country? Is, is there a compliance and regulatory issue there, bank account ease, currency exchange? Is it themselves or is it their families or dependents that they're moving? All these things are obvious things that people think of. And a lot of it is also dictated by duration. Like, am I going there for a set period of time? You had a wave of people escape the UK, for example, who were fortunate, able to during the pandemic, and pack up and live somewhere else for a bit. And often they were by themselves. Often they were, they were able to do that, and relatively young in high in, in 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 highly paid jobs. So many of them are back in the UK now. So there, there are there are, I think those are the, the the main things for people who have the choice. Yeah.
0: No. Absolutely. Um, Demantis. Obviously, we've seen a rise in e-residencies, um, you know, countries offering particular visas to these types of digital nomads. How successful do you think those e-residencies or visas have been?
1: Well, we see probably different degrees of success across the board. Um, you know, we see um, uh, tax migrants, tax nomads that are going for and getting their residencies for tax reasons. We're, we're, seeing, we're seeing lifestyle. Uh, so I guess, I think that the tax ones are uh, probably the, the trickiest ones, I would say. Because I think that it's still quite a bit of, unclarity when it comes to how do you manage your taxes abroad. Uh, personally, I'm dealing, uh, and I see a lot of people dealing with that. When it comes to you know being employed, you know, 11% of our staff is contractors, and they work everywhere. So we have an entire subset of our people team dedicated to make sure that their experience is is, is measured. We have various companies that we employ across the board to manage their process so that makes sure that they are comfortable from the tax standpoint, uh, etc. So this is this has changed after the pandemic and during pandemic. And I think there's a whole new market that we've seen sprung up just to manage this this new reality, for sure. And there's still a lot of gray areas and unknowns, to be honest.
0: Yeah, it's um, hugely complex. Um, Devin, are you seeing more financial players looking to court this audience? Are you seeing digital nomads being mentioned in pitch decks more often? What, what are you seeing?
2: Yeah, I think we had a wave during, particularly during the pandemic and the beginning of the pandemic, you had a number of companies setting up to address this or you had different uh, companies that already existed sort of focusing more on, less on economic migrants and more on digital nomads or actually referring to them as digital nomads. You've had companies in the sort of compliance payroll space or for remote workers like deal which have done which have really pushed through during the pandemic um, and over the last couple of years so there's been a wave of capital going in driven by people or the view that this would be a more long-term play that digital nomads would be here to for for good and the luxury of choice would be around um, and we'd be able to therefore be able to try and solve hurdles like tax like compliance like labor law, employment law as, as, a, as, a, as a means and, and so you've seen that happen. Um, so I think as I say going back to what I said at the beginning, there was that and then you've also seen as there has been for a while companies and you know one in our portfolio like Monet's, which are focused on economic migrants um, and those who perhaps don't have that choice and have come here and looking to just make their life easier with a bank account
0: yeah definitely. Um, well, I think that's a good opportunity for us to switch to focus maybe on some of those those challenges that you've you've zoomed in on. So what challenges are there still to be solved for for digital nomads you know, chris from from what you see with with your customers, what are some of the biggest pain points that are preventing this from being a seamless experience for, for these individuals?
3: I think it uh, I think there's responsibility on both sides. I feel like you can kind of slice this four different ways. There's like, individuals and companies. And then in the individuals bucket, you've got people who are self-employed or work, you know, work for themselves, have their own company or there's employee employees. Uh, and then on the company side, there's, well, I guess the company side is, is, is its own. So maybe it's just three, three buckets, not four. Um, and their job is like, make it as seamless as possible for people to, if they want to, to pursue this lifestyle. Like Devin's just talked about Deal, like a huge uh, employee of record company. And like these, these companies just like seem to sprout up out of nowhere over the course of, of the pandemic. Although, you know, some of them obviously existed before. And I think the challenges are different depending on where you sit. Probably the biggest, I think the biggest one is tax because I don't feel like organizations like the actual tax authorities, global, globally tax authorities, I don't think are, are equipped enough to to be able to catch people who are, who are, let's say, trying to find their way out of paying tax. I don't think people are fundamentally against paying tax somewhere, but there isn't really an easy way for them to for them to do it, um, or an easy way for people to know how or where. Companies companies have it slightly easier, right, because the employer of record companies. kind of set up to do that and and, uh, Demantis talks about like yeah the infrastructure there that's built for companies to to enable that and to to give people opportunities but on on the individual side like it's it's still really really difficult so I think as digital nomads people who are pursuing this lifestyle if their company isn't set up in the proper way I think it's a it's almost like this this gray cloud that just sits over you in terms of like how do i how do i now go about making sure that i'm compliant people aren't necessarily looking to to evade things but um, i'm sure that that's happening just just by consequence of there not being proper methods for people
0: for sure i mean demantis you chris said you, know, you touched on tax being an issue that that you see how much of a minefield is it like where are the main problems at the moment
1: well taxation is is only one of the issues that we see and this is more on the affluent side i would say and there is there is ways how to manage that uh, but i would also touch upon a couple of other structural problems uh, in in financial services that exist today that prevent access and prevent access to you know banking and prevent access to uh, to credit so on a banking side i think i would point to especially in europe that there is a huge fragmentation of local IBAN infrastructure and what that means is that banks are still dominating through regulation uh, ownership of local IBANs, which means that in certain parts of Europe, you can only get banked with a bank. Uh, means you can only get a bank account that can deposit. Then you can deposit your salary if you are being banked with, with a traditional institution. And uh, even though the regulation should allow for non-banks to offer that easily, you still need a bank sponsor in in many respects. So there is that which is access and and uh, you know. And this is, I think, very, should be very universal for both nomads and, and economic migrants. It's access issue. And, and secondly, is this is a, a bigger, bigger problem, much more difficult to solve, but it's that need for international credit scoring and international credit house, uh, right? Because right now, if you would like to offer these people who need the credit the most, you would need to collect credit in one country and, and create defaults from another or collect the defaults from another. This doesn't happen. And that's why people who are in the need for that, they are pretty much underserved because everybody's treated as high risk if you enter a new country. And it's the same for nomads or, or for, for migrants, even more important for migrants. So I would say that international credit scoring and the need to set that up is is hugely important and no one's really corrected yet.
0: Yeah, we've had a couple of... Um guests I think on the show there are definitely some fintechs that are starting to look at that but as you say it is a huge problem and definitely something that needs to accelerate and, and roll out faster um Devin obviously we've obviously there's lots of issues in this space so I think we could spend a lot of time on it and um, one thing we've not touched on I suppose explicitly is is payments so what payments problems do do you see or do your your potential portfolio companies talk about if any
2: yeah I mean I think a lot I think Tax and, and access aside, I think like payments. Obviously, you've got currency risk. You've got the ability to onboard. I mean, in order to make a payment, you've got to be onboarded. In order to be onboarded, you've got to have an account somewhere. And it's often not if you're if you're working in X but paying predominantly to your back to Y, in a different country. Then you may it's easy to get the bank account in X and getting that. And getting that access is not easy for a digital nomad and even less so for an economic migrant. So, you know, onboarding procedures for companies. Some 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 companies even in Europe struggle to onboard small freelance businesses. They just can't do it. And then so setting up the account in its first place is difficult. Then making international payments through those banks can sometimes be challenging. And you're also then taking FX risk. So I think those three aspects in terms of I think probably contribute to making payments quite challenging you then also then impact that with what type of payments then goes back to the tax point because you they may be flouting certain tax laws and to chris's point i don't think people in, deliberately intend to but as we all know tax policy is deliberately opaque and it's, it always will be because that's how governments operate and i think um you know having tax harmonization even within the eu is proving to be a challenge let alone you know, um, globally. So I think the only people who really win out of this are accountants and they're able to assist you through certain phases, but that's really meant for the more affluent digital nomad. So I think payments, not just the rails and the onboarding and the facilitation and the and the actual, if it is in fiat currency and in, in FX risk, all of this is, is uh, these are problems which have been slightly addressed and are being addressed, but and they're much better than they were Five seven years ago, but I think they can all be finessed far uh, in, in a far better way.
0: Interesting. I agree absolutely. Um, Chris, I think there's a bit of a halo around this idea of digital nomad. Sometimes people see it as this very like luxurious you know, lifestyle of choice and freedom. But you know, are there actually sort of hidden costs and expenses that add up for these people that we're not mindful of in the way that we should be?
3: Well, first of all, thank you very much, Kate. I I really appreciate the recognition of the halo there. Um. No, I think this is two sides of the same coin because yes, there might be some hidden costs, but actually one of the things that this lifestyle promotes is is like a, a, a minimalist lifestyle, like a lifestyle with less, um, less dependence on material possessions, less dependence on stuff and less dependence on crap. Like there is so much stuff that you... Give up without really realizing that you give it up, and I think one of the things that you hit on is the fact that whilst there's a lot of glossy content that shows this lifestyle as being you know glamorous or, or luxurious or whatever, uh, and and idyllic, like actually there's there's things that people have to pass on to make this lifestyle work. Um, whether that's you know having a a fancy car that's a status symbol or whether that's like having a, having a pet because it's, it's really impractical to travel with pets. Stuff like that is like stuff that people forgo that maybe they would really like in their life that doesn't really fit with, with the, with the travel lifestyle. It's almost like you choose, you choose the experience of, of traveling and exposure to different cultures and and different people and different languages in different places. You choose that over, over all of the other stuff. And this doesn't happen overnight. It happens over a long period of time. Like many people will kind of like sell everything. I see this all the time where people say like, I sold everything and now I'm a digital nomad. And I don't necessarily think it works that way. I think more realistic is slowly but surely you kind of leave a bunch of stuff at home and then you go travel for a little bit and when you come back you realise that you didn't you don't you're not really dependent on this stuff. You just have it because it was marketed to you. And you don't really need it. So you either get rid of it or, you know, you give it to somebody else, you, you sell it, whatever, but slowly over time you untether yourself. And so that balances out all of the additional costs that that, that you might be alluding to. I don't know what, like the additional costs, it's really, it's, it's, it's a really tough one. It depends where you are. Like there's a lot of talk about geo arbitrage here and like going to places where you can uh, basically live, Live for for less money, or you know, ha- have the same stuff for less. So yeah, hidden cost is not really something that I think is is, is a huge problem.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, I think there's definitely you know a, a balancing act here between kind of the, the positives, and positive negatives. Um, brilliant. Well, we're just going to take a quick pause here. We'll be back very shortly. Here at Eleven FS, we believe in explaining FS without the BS. That's why we created our Eleven FS Explore series. Videos that break down a complicated financial services topic into something everyone can get their head around. Such as...
2: Non-fungible tokens
0: Buy now, pay later The cost of living ESG Circular economies
2: Embedded finance
0: And inclusive design Search 11 Affairs Explores on YouTube now. Okay, let's now move on and look at how things might change in digital nomad world and the services supporting that, how they might change as well. So with workplaces home more population again and the current economic downturn, what's what's the thoughts in this group? You know, do we think we're going to see an increase or a decrease in the number of digital nomads going forward? Devin, what do you reckon?
2: Uh, my, I think our initial instinct is, is that I think whilst the pandemic and and a shift in technology and remote work was a catalyst for digital nomads over the last few years. I think there will be a pushback on that, partly because migration laws, partly because of taxation, and partly because of um, the move or shift away from, and the economic climate that we currently find ourselves in. I think whilst it is whilst people are trying to set up businesses and some of the most successful businesses have been set up during a recession, I think it's also people looking to go necessarily, some people are naturally looking at going back and working for a more mainstay corporate. And I think we're seeing that in some job trends that we've viewed. Um, so in our view, I think the, the the accelerated rise of digital nomads will probably, in our view, curtail. doesn't mean it's not going to that over time grow, but I think it's certainly over the next few years, the reasons I've outlined will certainly, the growth will curtail. Um, whether that retrenches,
1: I think it's just too early to say.
0: Damantis, what's, what's your perspective? What do you see from, from where you
1: are? I think that in general, mass layoffs that we're seeing, and we're just seeing the very beginning of it, I think will move people away from false security of corporate, because there is no security in corporate. We can see that. Your company can be bought by Musk and you're laid off. I mean, and it's not just Twitter. I mean, I've seen a lot of my good friends uh, who spent, you know, 10, 15 years in a corporate doing very well, especially in uh, contracting sectors that are losing to the new industry. They're being let go, and those people probably will never go back to the old because that loyalty is gone. So a lot of these people, I know they're either going for um, sort of a part-time, is you know working where they want, they want to get that flexibility back, uh, and they have, maybe have some money. Maybe they'll go into startups. Maybe they will go into co-founding. So, you know, any any point at which we will see in this sort of point of distress and and uncertainty, they will have more people going for alternatives. I would say so. I would be more on the on the growth end of this, and people will choose lifestyle more and more. I would say, especially as my generation. The millennials are coming into play big time for us. That loyalty is way less and less. So, so yeah, I'm quite bullish about the future, and it makes sense, right? I think for a long period of time, we have deprioritized uh, sun in our decision-making process when we choose our careers, when we choose where we live. A lot of my friends have been in London, well, because it's the best place to live, because it's the best opportunity, and that this is becoming probably a not such a big factor anymore when you can earn London salaries and work from Bali or anywhere else. So I think people are starting to value that more and more, especially in the affluent segment for sure.
0: Yeah, I know Bali are rolling out their, their new visas as well, aren't they? So trying to trying to reel those, reel those people in. I mean, obviously, yeah, Chris, we've got a bit of a split opinion here. You get the casting vote. Is this a fad or is this here to stay?
3: Oh, casting vote. I like that. Um, I I think there's... I mean, call me bias, right? Cause, cause my business, my business is, is, is in this space, but no, genuinely, I think that there's, there's a valid point from both sides here. I think Devon's probably right in, in saying that things aren't going to keep going to the moon, um, in the same way that they did over the last couple of years. But I don't think that things will stop. Like there's probably, it'll probably continue to, it might go back to like the bubbling away phase where it slowly kind of slowly grows. Um, but I don't think that it's going away. I think if you fast forward five or 10 years, there's probably going to be this huge divergence where there'll be companies who chose to adapt and grow and at least either take, take a hybrid approach and companies who didn't. And it'll be like, it'll be like going back to the early noughties where it's like, Hey, are you going to be on social media or are you not going to be on social media? And then, you know, all of the companies who chose social media are still here and, We've all forgotten about the ones who didn't use social media. So yeah, I think I think maybe it's going that kind of way, and that's my casting vote. And let's let's loop back in ten years and see what actually happened.
0: Yeah, well, we'll have to check back in. I like that you declared your bias up front, though. At least, at least we've got that. Um, <laughs> Own it, <laughs> Devin, I mean, do you think we're going to see? You know, if if this trend either accelerates or plateaus, up I mean, Regardless, there is still a sizable community of these individuals. You. Know, globally that needs to be solved for um do you think we're going to see a bank emerge specifically focused
2: on this digital nomads group i mean i think you're seeing the rise anyway of fragmented what we call what we call fragmented community banking so people are trying to create banks for communities or particularly communities which are perceived as disadvantaged or um are not having the, uh, the financial services being easily provided to them. You know, and that can be religious communities, like the Muslim community. It can be gender. Because women and investing is a big focus, right? Why were women not investing as much? So why don't we create uh, an investment and banking platform for them? Um, the same can be said. I mean, Monet's was about the migrant worker. Um, and I think you know digital nomads is, is something which I think is possible. I do think the unit economics on a bank just for a community has pitfalls because you need to be able to not only analyse the the retention on that but also the practicalities of some of the challenges we've talked about, um, uh, payments and tax and, and other aspects associated with that. So whilst I think it's conceivably possible, I think it needs to be thought through on a lot of these issues. And I think we're no longer in a venture capital world where, you know, there's fuel, you know huge amounts of fuel to go and build your business and think about economics, unit economics later. I think it has to be front and center how a business like that is going to become profitable quite quickly.
0: Yeah, I think um, we definitely seem to be moving much more into an environment of having to prove you know, create that initial offering prove that there's a business case behind that and then sort of build and build in increments and go out into other areas and in, in increments um it matters you know, everyone gets very excited about super apps and for you know sometimes with good reasons sometimes with not such good reason but to me this seems like an interesting audience in the sense that you know the types of challenges that we've talked about do genuinely go across lots and lots of different categories across your finances but also lifestyle choices and accommodation um you know Do you think there's a case for a super app here? You could transfer, go expand over time to become the super app for digital nomads?
1: You know, I actually think that it's going to be companies that are moving upwards that will be the winners here. I don't think you need a new brand to service this this segment. Uh, But the reality today in Europe, for example, super app is not a thing. Even though a lot of people talk about super apps, but if you go deeper into their financials, it's still either FX, which is currency and payments, or it's crypto, or was crypto. That's as much as super happy as we get these days. Everybody wants to be in there, but there are very, there is very little innovation when it comes to new products. A lot of people are just throwing things at the wall and see what sticks, but it actually doesn't drive CLV per customer. That's that's what we see. And but I think generally speaking, I think the digital bank will be much more monopolized place than traditional bank because you don't won't need that many digital players because what we see already is that a pure banking model when it comes to paying per account has largely failed uh, there's very few profitable or good companies that were able to to build up in that way. Most of them are either in payments effects and they're using banking as an entry point. So I think that the best companies will emerge the ones that will be able to scale beyond payments uh, because payments will soon gonna be a commodity you know instant, very low cost, that's happening. We haven't scaled everybody, but the next chapter of winners and those super apps will be the ones that will solve these structural problems around credit, around access, and around you know delivering identities to people that don't have identities, that they could get access to various financial products. Because right now, we don't have a problem of having a lot of different products out there. But most of customers globally, especially the economic migrant, and and probably nomads as well, because they're in another country, just don't, are not eligible. So, for example, a Ukrainian migrant in Europe is not able to access Robinhood trading for only reason that they fall outside of their risk profile. But this is a problem of identity. This is the problem of transferable identity across the web, rather than actual problem with specific demographics, right? So, I think. We need to solve structural problems like like the the similar thing we had to do in payments. Like we are in payments for a decade now. 80 percent of our transactions are instant, 24/7, and for like 3 percent of the cost of traditionals. But we did that not through blockchain, not through you know a lot of the but actually by building within the the traditional system and building our own clearinghouse on top. I think similar stories will happen when innovation will happen and transform how we look at identity. Transform how we look at, at, at cross-border credit. And those will be those actual super apps in Europe that will have multiple revenue streams that are big, as big as FX. So um, I think that's, it's going to be a different flavor of, of what we see in WeChat, for example, which is a government-supported super app, which is not never going to be a market in Europe. So they will be, but they will require some significant innovation, I would say. Devin,
0: obviously you touched on yeah, fiat Earlier on, Demantis has talked about the scale of structural change that's needed, whether that sits in the traditional fiat ecosystem or or the crypto world, I guess is is something that a lot of people are interested in. Do you you think the crypto industry will move in if the traditional fiat infrastructure doesn't go through some of the changes that Demantis has has outlined?
2: Uh, I I think we're we're quite bearish on, on where the crypto world is. And for obvious reasons right now, I think the crypto world needs to look inside itself a little bit more before it starts trying to solve other problems in our view. Um, that may sound quite harsh, but I think uh, there's a lot of cleaning up needing to be done. I, I, I think we're probably being a bit harsh on how financial services is generally serving this community. I think you know, given where it was 10 years ago, and we always have to look at things in, I think, schemes of five years, not in one year, um, or five or 10 years, I think we've come a long, long way. I think the question is, there are certain bits which need to be corrected and some things whichever way you look at it, are out of the hands of, of, of builders um, or venture capitalists, even like tax. Um, and so these are things which which will take time to to find the best possible seamless, frictionless route to, to, to solve. So I don't think crypto is the answer, to be honest, for, 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 for digital nomads. Uh, I don't think it helps solve some of the problems that we've talked about. It may Provide a short-term solution, but then if you take it being paid in digital cash, particularly, you're also opening yourselves up to a whole wave of volatility in a different area.
0: I like a, I like the balance of pragmatism and criticism. Let's you know, so let's be pragmatic about what's what's improved and and optimistic about what needs to change. So sadly, but we're getting to the end of the show. But just to round us out, you know, so if if we could if we could use that, you know, what one thing do we think has changed for the better? What's better now than it was five years ago? In the financial services world for digital nomads, and what one thing do you think really, really needs to change? I'd love to get your perspective on, on that. So yeah, Dementis, what, what one thing's better and what one thing still needs to improve?
1: At Western Union and MoneyGram no longer tax people on cross-border payments, that's for sure. We should be very, very happy about that. Even though cash is not dying as quickly as we would like, that they're, they're in deep trouble. Uh, so that's good. Uh, uh, ten years ago, I had to convince every single VC that they will not uh, react. So it's good to be at least for once, right? Uh, and there's a, a lot of good companies that have made that happen. Now, what we still needs to happen is identity, global identity. Glo- like we have HTTPS protocol for internet. We need that protocol for identity. So it's transferable, interoperable across different, and it's, it's I think governments need to step in because it needs to be a global standard that's recognized, like an NGO or something like that. But I think that's something that we don't talk enough about, because that's going to be a main uh, and a huge enabler for anyone—nomads, migrants, anyone who wants to, you know, leverage their identity and, and have it transferable.
0: Chris, what do you reckon? One thing that's improved, one thing that's that still needs to be fixed?
3: I think banking in general uh, has improved. Or if we think about this in schemes of, you know, the, in. The five-year view or the 10-year view, like the the rise of neobanks and, and just like mobile banking and how that's changed and, and how that's evolved over the years is great. Obviously a lot of work to do, but if we look back five years, I think that's a big win. Um, one thing that still needs to be improved, this touches on what you've just said Demantis, which is like the recognize countries, recognizing that global mobility is something that needs to be tackled and kind of pull in their weight a little bit on, on on everything else. Like a lot a lot of the the makers and the builders um and the technology world are there and and, and want to build this stuff and want want to bring it to, to market. Or oh, that's how I feel. Uh but I don't I think that governments are kind of governments or or, or governing bodies kind of ke- keeping a lid on it without really realising it. But they're just a lot a lot slower, a lot slower to to adapt and to to welcome this this kind
2: of stuff.
0: And Devon, lastly last on you, what, what, one thing that's good, one thing that needs to change?
2: I, if I were to spoil it down, I'd say democratisation and access of financial services. Someone can move from one country in Europe to another and open a bank account in a in a, in a matter of minutes. That's fantastic. That couldn't happen a, f- a few years ago. I think uh, in terms of what can be improved, I think a greater standard that like we talked about, identity, standardisation of identity and standardisation and, inter- and standard interpretation of law, uh, employment law labor law um, I think these things would be very <laughs> tax law would be great would make life easier for for, for this sector um, and I think if we can get certainly within certain countries and you know whether it doesn't have to be across regions even like the whole EU but Benelux or certain countries where there is like migration between areas uh, greater harmonization I think that would that would be very helpful
0: for sure fingers crossed well Sadly, we've run out of time. So that wraps up today's discussion. Thank you so much for for joining me. Where can people find out more about you and the companies that you represent, Chris?
3: Um, So I am probably most accessible on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Chris Chera. Or if you want to come and get some fantastic accommodation deals, you can sign up to the newsletter, remotebase.co. And if you hit reply to any of those emails, you basically land directly in my
2: inbox. So that's the fastest route to me.
0: Awesome. Devin, what about you?
2: Like Chris, LinkedIn, uh, Outward VC, LinkedIn page, or even if easier, our webpage,
1: outwardvc.com.
0: Brilliant. And Dementis, what about you?
1: Well, if you go to transfergo.com, you can now find the best effects deal from £10 to 100000 If it's not, ping me on LinkedIn, I will make sure you guys get it, especially if you come with the show. So if you've seen us here, let me know. I will make it happen. Uh, Joking aside, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, Um, respond fairly quickly, Um, so yeah, happy to connect.
0: Brilliant. And you can find me also on LinkedIn at Kate Moody and on Twitter at k Moody. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, you can subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us to make it better and helps others to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media, just search for 11FS or FinTech Insider or email podcasts at 11fs.com. Thank you very much. Goodbye.